This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Before we start today's show, I want to caution listeners. This episode deals with motor vehicle accidents, loss of life, and the post-traumatic effects. With that said, it is one of the most honest and hope-filled conversations I've had. So if the content will not be triggering for you, I believe it will strengthen your faith in our God in unexpected ways. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. When I began to consider how to introduce this week's guests and topic, I knew it was important to help you see the connection between your story and Jennifer's story. In 2016, Jennifer Eichenhorst entered a group no one ever wants to be a part of. That group is titled Cause of Accidental Death or Injury, CADI for short. It is a group that has recently been brought into the spotlight after actor and producer Alec Baldwin became a member. And while it's tempting to think Jen's story is not relevant to you, let me share a few things you'll hear us talk about that are a part of all of our stories. Fear of the unknown, grappling with God's answer to prayer when you begged Him to heal, experiences that lead you to ask some hard questions about what you've always known or considered to be true, and the weight of grief. If what you hear today resonates with you, will you share it with a friend? Your support and sharing is what helps me continue creating the show week in and week out. Good morning, Jen, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning, Amber. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm excited for you to be here. Um, I know you, but so many people listening do not know you, and we are going to walk through an incredibly hard and redemptive story today. And so as we begin, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, about your family, and what you do on a day-to-day basis. I am a school teacher in Texas, and I teach high school math intervention. And I am a wife. Um, my husband and I just celebrated 20 years in September. I know. Whoop, whoop. I feel like we need a whoop, whoop. Um, <laughs> a hallelujah, too. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, and he is a coach, and I love him. We're actually kind of high school sweethearts. We met oh. my senior year of high school, so he took me to prom and all those things. And then we have four children, and my oldest is a freshman in college at University of the South in Tennessee. And my youngest is in third grade. <laughs> so we are it's all so over crazy. The place. We are. We are all over the place. And we we are um, in classical school. Like I know your kids okay. are classical. Yes. And so um, that and we wouldn't have it any other way. We now, have they so- been all in ca- classical the whole way through? Um, since freshman year, like okay. since the oldest was a freshman. Nice. So for Hayes, junior kindergarten through third grade and then um but all of you know yeah so for the last five years yeah yeah I know we really enjoy it too I think I partially 
enjoy it for my own selfish reasons because I'm learning things that I just didn't know before. Not that I wouldn't do that if my kids were in any school, but I think because I'm so involved in what they're doing, I end up learning all this stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never put that together with that because there is a lot of memorization early on. So it's real helpful. Yes, especially history. Yeah. Like the richness of the history, which, which I went to public school in Dallas, Texas and yeah. A lot of, um, a lot of Texas history, but maybe yeah. not so. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, we're big on Texas history for sure. Yeah. That's the one thing. One of my best friends from college, he is from Texas. And we used to laugh so hard because all my friends from Texas, like we all went to school in Kentucky and I grew up in Kentucky, but all of my friends from Texas in college, they were the only friends that had the their state flag put in their dorm rooms, in their houses. I was like, what is it with Texas? We just... It's in us. It's in the DNA. <laughs> Proud Texans. I don't know if that's a good thing, but yeah. No, I mean, my husband is so funny because he'll try to, every once in a while, he gets an itch to try and move somewhere else. I'm like, you try to take me out of Texas. It's not happening. <laughs> like, it's just not happening. And he's, I'm like, yeah, we, if you want the mountains, we can go to this side of Texas. If you want the beach, we can go to this side of Texas, but we're staying in Texas. No, that's you know? awesome. Yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit about your faith journey. I always love to start off these episodes just uh, so that my listeners have some idea of your context of Christ and Christ in your life, because I know you didn't grow up in a Christian home. No, I grew up in a home where my parents, um, it's, it's complicated because my dad was raised in the church and, and in college decided to leave the church and kind of took on an agnostic point of view, mm-hmm. like acknowledge that there may be a creator, but didn't know the whole relationship part of it. Um, he was very big into um, the hypocrisy of mm-hmm. the church. He's never gotten really specific on like where that came from. The only thing I do know is that my grandpa was an alcoholic. Mm. So I feel like it kind of may stem from that. He's also adopted, but my grandpa was an alcoholic who took his own life. So I think there was like some things of you raised me in the church to go to church and you prayed to this God, but yet we're still messy. And that's kind of the whole point. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard, though, if you're not hearing that at home, like, yes, I am messy and I need Jesus as much as you do. It's really hard to not equate versus just ignoring it. That's right. Yeah. And let's cover it up. And I think that's the generation of that time, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I think we're coming away from that because people are rebelling like, hey, we need to talk about it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the example of the Bible. The Mm -hmm. Bible talks about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then my mom had what I think their family was spiritual, but in a, we don't go to church, but we have a Bible that sits on the coffee table and very cultural. um, Yes. And, and just again, not the relationship, but acknowledging and then having just a real personal, I think there was a lot again, church hurt, which is Mm -hmm. crazy that I come from. And so I'm very sensitive to church hurt because Mm -hmm. I saw this within my parents, but, but they weren't um, believers. There wasn't anything. There was not a Bible in my home growing up. But every time we would visit my grandparents, I got to go to church and my grandmother would have, you know, a dress for my sister and I, and um, she passed away before I was 10. And I think I was like, I, why don't I do that when I come home? And my parents were so open and supportive that they were like, if I wanted to be a Buddhist, they would have supported me. I mean, mm-hmm. they were literally, you need to explore. 
you yeah. need to know for yourself. And I did that a little bit with my teen years, but it always came back to knowing that there was something I felt when I got to visit Nana and go to Sunday school. And so I did, I, at a young age, started getting myself up and ready and getting my little sister ready for church. That's I mean, awesome. before the age of 10. Wow. And um, yeah, I was just a baby Christian and kind of learning on my own. And, and that was interesting because now I look back and I developed my own things and I was like, okay, well, maybe evolution, you know, because I, I went to prep public school. I was like, well, maybe evolution where, you know, maybe things did evolve, but in God's time, he just snapped a finger and it went like, so I was like trying to combine theories and, and really, um, just find my way, you know, and, as but you I, know what, Chen, I want to point out there. I actually think there's a lot of value in that because that is an act of really God slowly giving you discernment and learning to be a critical thinker. And that is something too, that I love about the classical model of education, because if you're raised in the church, a lot of times you don't necessarily learn how to critically think about what are some other opinions? What are some other worldviews besides the one you're raised in? And then once you get bombarded with that in the world, you're left thinking, well, maybe I don't believe any of that. If I didn't critically think through evolution and, you know, the possibilities, how do these things coexist? Do they coexist? Is one lying? Is one telling the truth? All of the things. So there is great value in that. Um, I I wouldn't change anything. Looking back, I I just, I literally, because I held my own in this household of just still going to church and still reading my Bible, but it gave me also um, the idea that, you know, I was held to a standard, you Mm. know, I mean, when I wanted to make some dumb mistake as a teenager, I thought, how will this reflect in my parents' eyes that I profess to be a Christian? Oh, wow. Wow. So the accountability in your own home. Yes. And, and the praying for my household. Wow. As a young person. That's incredible. And then, and then trusting God that here I am 41 years old and my mom has a, a little bit, I think, um, through my own testimony, just becoming more of like seeking that relationship Mm -hmm. with God, a personal Mm -hmm. relationship, um, that is very private to her. I don't think she wants the, the stress, even though I think it would be just a beautiful extension of our relationship, you know, that's private for her but she knows I'm always here. And my dad, you know, we're just really open, you know, where he, I can literally, if, if God answers a prayer, I'm going to tell him like, Hey dad, you know, I'm just letting you know that I prayed for that for six months. And then here's the answer, you know, or whatever it happens to be. I just know that the Lord is working on them even when I can't see it. And I trust that when their day has come, I just believe that they will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Um, Well, and I hear two beautiful things there. The thread of just trusting and continuing in relationship is so vital. And number two, not everyone who is agnostic or atheist, or I'm not sure how you would describe your dad now, is an angry, bitter person. Oh, yeah. A lot of them live joyful lives, but I think we sometimes are fed that lie that like, oh, if they're void of Christ, their life must be miserable. Actually, no, a lot of times their life on earth can be very much like anyone else's. We're talking Mm -hmm. about 
eternity. And so we pray for them and we love them and we still live in relationship with them. Oh yeah. And that can be one of the scariest things because my dad is literally um, one of the most honest, kindest, servant-hearted men. Yeah. And he loves his family and he um, tries to be the best version of himself every day. And so I just have to know, like, I just have to be open with the relationship part. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. things of the Bible that I can't explain. Mm -hmm. I can't explain. And I'm not going to try and come up with my own commentary and opinions about it. There is a true element of just faith and relationship because the relationship that I have and in like what we're about to talk about with my accident and through that whole time period, nothing, absolutely zero, anything can change my mind Mm -hmm. because it's so real. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just love that. See, I could keep talking about this, but you know, before we even started, (laughs) I've said it in so many episodes, people are probably tired of it. I'm like, I need to start pushing record. Like as soon as I enter into conversation, because Jen and I were talking about how many layers there are to things. And this is just one of the layers we could dig into, but I do want to get to your accident Mm. um, because that is something that has just formed so much of who you are as an adult personally, spiritually, emotionally, um, so many things. And so I I sent you this question because I want people to know that you're a part of a group Mm -hmm. that no one aspires to be a part of. And so I want that to just resonate with people because I think sometimes while the group you're a part of is not the same group somebody else is a part of, we can, some of us can resonate with that on a deep level. Mm -hmm. And so... The reality is you serve this community well, you love this community well, um, you help raise awareness for this community well. And so as we begin, tell everybody what, I don't know if you would refer to it, is it Caddy? Is that it's how you Caddy, say it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Caddy. I didn't know if like, <laughs> if you do C-A-D-I or if you oh, say Caddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so tell everyone what that is first. Yeah. Um. And thank you. Now I'm all crying. I'm like, <laughs> so you, you really do. You if do. You, oh, that touches me. Just, yeah. Thank you. So caddy means causing accidental death or injury. So it's capital C-A-D-I. And it's an acronym that was coined by Dr. Marianne Gray. She is the founder of accidentalimpacts.org. And it's a nonprofit that helps people. It's the only uh, nonprofit in the world that focuses on this subject of causing accidental death. Mm. And I am just blessed to call her friend mm-hmm. and she's a mentor. And then I'm the second resource. <laughs> That's right. But I'm, from a, but I'm a, I'm a faith perspective. My podcast is a resource from the faith perspective where the nonprofit is non-religious Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what um, causing accidental death or injury. And that is very, when I found that term, it just blessed me. Like I can't even, it was just a puzzle piece to my identity mm. because I was struggling with this idea of accidental killer. Mm. And if you can imagine, that's what the media calls it. I mean, there's literally headline after headline of celebrity, accidental killer, and that's what they termed us, you know, and 
it's a whole community, like you said. And, you know, before I talk really about it, I always just want to make sure that it's such an emotional topic that, Mm -hmm. you know, please, if you're listening, my story can be very uh, stirring for a lot of complicated feelings Mm -hmm. and it can hurt people. Um, If you have lost a loved one or a friend to a tragic accident, I just want you to know my heart is broken for you. And I am so sorry for your loss. When I share, it in no way wants to diminish the grief and pain that others have experienced. Mm-hmm. And I just know that I want my, my words to be, you know, of the Lord and guarded. You know, I don't want them to be twisted by the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to be um, maybe freeing. Mm-hmm. And I want them to, um, well, and to challenge you. I mean, Mm -hmm. they do, they do. They challenge you to think about sin and and about forgiveness and bitterness and hopefully restoration and all the other things that can come with it. But really, I just pray that my words don't hurt anyone when I speak. Yeah, well, and that's the thing that with your accident and um, thinking about Caddy, how uh, the whole group, you are someone is responsible for causing injury or harm to another being. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm assuming is the accident part there. It's not on purpose. No. This is not seeking out to harm someone. This is just an accident. Mm-hmm. And so Jen's podcast is called Accidental Hope, if someone would like to listen to that. And so Jen, take us back. Share what happened the day of your accident. I just honored the five-year anniversary. It was October 4th, 2016. It was a Tuesday and it was a normal day. I taught class and we had busy schedules. My boys were doing swim at the time. They were uh, 14 and 10 and my daughter had volleyball. And so, you know, she's, uh, and they were, we lived in a small town in Texas, but one had to be at one side of town and the, and the boys had to be at the other side of town, you know. And how old was your daughter at the time? She was 12. Okay. She was 12. And then Haven was four. Okay. My husband is a football coach. So he had been on the football field um, when the volleyball game started and when swim practice started. So he was at football. And then what normally kind of happens is, you know, we divide and conquer, <laughs> but it's all oh, yeah. me until football is over, you know, I mean, football's serious in Texas. And uh, so he was at the football field and then he kind of usually would, I get Katie to the volleyball and then my friends take over, you know, so she was kind of like off with another mama, you know, Mm -hmm. we split and be like, Hey, I can't be in two places at one time. That's right. Yeah. I thank God for a village, right? (laughs) Right. Yes. Amen. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, especially when you have other friends who have larger families or same activities, you know. And so anyway, I dropped Katie off for her volleyball. I took the boys and Haven. We went to the Y. They did their swim practice. And then Chris met me there. Anyway, my friend said, hey, I'll bring Katie to you. And I was like, great. You know, I'm going to now that we're doing swim, I'm going to get on the elliptical. I don't have any excuse. You know, I, I have to be there. I might as well work out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were supposed to bring Katie to me after dinner and they decided to stop by home first because chapel is on Wednesdays. 
And if you have private school, you know all about chapel days. That's right. And it can get real serious <laughs> <laughs> because where's the uniform, right? And mm. that's very pressing. And apparently her girls had nothing ready for chapel. And so she's like, hey, I'm just going to drive by my house real quick. This is in a text form. I'm on the elliptical. I'm going to drive my, by my house and get things ready for chapel because the girls just told me they have nothing clean for chapel day. And I mean, I've had that conversation with my children. Like at, every week. <laughs> right. At 10 o'clock <laughs> at night. Like, how do you not know again where your scarf is, you know, or whatever it is? A vest, anything, shoe, anything. So she sends me this text and I thought, you know what? I am not going to have her get back out. She clearly needs to be at home. And so I sent her this text and said, hey, no, don't get back out. I'll come to you. I mm. will come get Katie. And by then my husband had already reached the gym and I looked at him and I said, hey, they were going to bring Katie here, but plans have changed. I'm going to go get Katie. So I'll take the girls meet you at the house and you have the boys. And I had this really sweet exchange with my husband and left. Five to 10 minutes later, I was in an accident that changed everybody's life. Uh, so I picked her up and pulling out of their subdivision and it was dark, it's country road and it happens to be on a hill. The family lived on a hill that was on the lake. And so this road bends at the top mm. of the hill. It just begins to bend yep. curves that follows the lake. And it's, you know, beyond city limits, there's no lights. And I got to the, the exit and Katie was telling me about her volleyball game. And we were just talking about the day. And I stopped at a stop sign and looked left and there was nothing. I looked right and there was nothing. And then I decided to pull out into this road to go home. We would have been home in five minutes mm -hmm. and I didn't know that there was an approaching motorcyclist from my left. I didn't see him. I didn't hear him. And when I pulled out, it was too late. Mm. I became first responder that night. I left my girls crying in the car, ran to him and administered first aid, called 911 and he passed away two days later. His name was David. Mm. And he was a father and veteran and he mattered. And thankfully he was also a Christian is what people mm. tell me. Yeah. So. Wow. That's kind of where this. This whole thing begins. Yeah. Ministry. I mean, it was really a starting over at yeah. 36 years old. It was a, it was a starting over point. If you're listening to Grace Enough, I have a feeling you have a desire to memorize scripture. Me too, but I struggled with daily practice until I discovered Dwell Differently. Dwell helps you memorize one Bible verse each month by taking the first letter of every word in a verse, stringing them together in a cool design, and providing the design as a temporary tattoo, on a key tag, and on a four by five card. Everywhere you go, you're reminded of the verse you're memorizing. Last month, the middle school small group I co-lead applied the 2 Corinthians 416 tattoo to our forearms. We spent time memorizing it, and at the end of our next gathering, one of the girls, Kaya, came up to me and said, I memorized 2 Corinthians 416, and went on to recite the verse. How awesome is that? 
The best part is people are always asking what your tattoo means. It's an easy way to share your faith and memorize scripture alone, with friends, or with family of all ages. Every month, you get a kit in the mail. And if you set up an individual or family membership between now and March 31st, 2022, you will receive 25% off your first month. Just use the code GRACEENOUGH at checkout. And if you want to dig a little deeper, follow Dwell Differently on Instagram at Dwell Differently, where they provide devotionals for each month's verse. Begin memorizing scripture today with help from Dwell Differently. Visit dwelldifferently.com to receive your kit today. Well, so tell me, what were the months following the accident, the day-to-day life like for you emotionally, physically, I mean, legally, spiritually, like I know that could be a whole hour conversation. But if you could just give kind of like the things that you really have a strong memory about, and then even for your girls. The first 48 hours was shock, but also I was just certain God was going to work this miracle. That he was going to live. He was da- going to David live. was going to live. David was going to live. I was so certain. I I mean, I have, I had witnessed God answer miracles. I mean, both my girls have had, have had brain surgery. I mean, mm. we have been through some stuff. I had already been on my knees for the lives of my children. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I had witnessed just from the mundane. Like I remember my son prayed for a rainbow one day and I was like, Oh, well, buddy, it's, it's January, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's not supposed to rain. And the next morning there was a rainbow in the sky for my Mm. five-year-old. So I have witnessed the awe of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I was certain that of all the prayers I've ever prayed, that this was very serious. And not for my own sake, even though I didn't want to be that person who caused a death. Right. I wanted it for his children. I was thinking about these children and do no harm. And I wasn't even thinking about my identity at that point. I was thinking about this is a man who served our country Mm -hmm. and he did not deserve this, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. When he did pass and it was um, in, in another thankful, you know, he was a donor Mm-hmm. And that gives me, even though I know, do not know this man, mm-hmm. it gave me the most peace that he lived on to help other people. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. weird? I mean, like he's a stranger, but it did. It, I mean, just like the family, I'm sure to know that dad lived on, but I went from a, a person who would stand and give my life knowing like I would confess that God is a good God. Mm-hmm. And I would give my life for that. And no anxiety uh, besides like normal little mom anxiety, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever. No mental health issues. Um, Never really struggled. I mean, I had a bout of postpartum depression after I had my younger son, but nothing significant, right? Right. To uh, suicidal, Mm. questioning my faith. Like I did not believe God was good in that time. Yeah. I had to wrestle 
had some very serious conversations with the Lord, but I was still going to him, <laughs> right? Because oh, yeah, where else right. are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? It wasn't like, I'm not going to deny that he isn't real. I was like, no, I know you're real. <laughs> yeah. And you had the authority and the power. And so you why? <laughs> why? Yeah, girl, I resonate. <laughs> I resonate yes. deeply with that. You know, the week, the days are a blur. Some of the things, it was minute to minute. It was moment to moment. Mm-hmm. And there were times where I really didn't, think I would make it. I didn't. Um, I didn't want to because everything hurts so badly. Mm. And I was just faking it, you know, so there's a whole spiritual side. There's the mental, physical. So the spiritual side, it was like, wait, God, you had the authority and power and you didn't, you abandoned me. You feel abandoned by God. Mm -hmm. You feel like your identity that you had before is destroyed. Mm. It does not matter that I was a teacher. It did not matter that I was like a good mom or a voter. It did not matter Mm. that I recycled. Yeah. I just, I just killed a man, my decision Mm. to pull out. Um, and, and I say that it it was an accident, but here's my part in this. Here's where I, I wrestle. I did not treat that intersection like a busy intersection. Mm. So where I stopped at the stop sign was back behind the road and the hill. I wasn't thinking about the hill. I really wasn't. I wasn't thinking about, oh, this is a hill. Treat that carefully. Mm -hmm. You know, Oh yeah. my guard was down. Mm -hmm. I didn't inch. It's just an oak tree. I didn't inch. Mm -hmm. And man was the enemy there to pounce. He -hmm. was there. He was ready because plans changed for me. We found out later that plans change for this man. It was, um, he had just bought that motorcycle. He had owned it for five hours. And, um, I mean, there's layers to this. He was 100 yards to his safety, right over to my right. There was a veteran. It's the VFW. Yeah. 100 yards to my right, maybe 200. That's where he was headed. And apparently he had been there He left and he came back and no one knows why he turned around. There's so many. I mean, we could, we could just sit in that and just, I had to sit in some very small details for a while and just Mm. say, at the end of the day, Lord, you're bigger Yeah. and you see things we don't. Yeah. And I will never understand. Mm -mm. I won't, Mm -mm. I won't understand, but that took, um, So there was the spiritual aspect of just wrestling with God. Are you really good? And do you really love me? If you love me and you love David and you loved his children, you love my children, then why? Why did you let us do this to build our character? And that made me so mad. (laughs) Like why? Romans 5, 5. Why would you, or Romans 3, 4. Why would you want me to build my character through this or his Mm -hmm. children's character through this or my children's character through this? Like, There had to be another way other than this suffering. Um, And I say that with a smile on my face because I did come through that, right? Yeah. But there was the physical side because I was mentally, I mean, I didn't want to eat. Food lost its taste. I had no, um, I guess that was the depression, the acute trauma, the PTSD of that. Mm -hmm. And um, not really wanting to engage with life because every time I tried, I had that voice that said, David's family doesn't have you or doesn't have him. Hmm. Why do you get to laugh and to sing and to hug 
and to engage when they don't get to have that with their loved one. Yeah. So the shame. Oh, the shame and the guilt. And then there was the legal side, like you mentioned. So in the state of Texas, I'm sure it's similar in a lot of states, but basically every county does everything a little different, which is really scary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because here and then, you know, 100 miles down the road, you know, they have different systems, but um, a fatality must go through the grand jury process. If there's not like an immediate thing that they could have a charge on, like any type of distractions. So I was on my phone, um, speeding, and then of course, like driving under the influence. So we think of those things immediately, but those are also things that we do every day because driving under the influence could also be sleepy. You know, if you are angry, if you, um, these, so this is part of what I do. I also advocate to just let people know the truth. It is not just your cell phone, even though 85% of Americans still admit that they do things on their cell phone while they're driving, even though they know they're not supposed to. Yeah. Well, it's just that one text, right? It's just that one text. It's just that one, you know, or even, oh, well, I do it at a red light. No, I mean, any of that can be, um, when you get in my hot seat, it makes the difference between your freedom. Mm. I mean, you're already going to deal with the guilt, the shame, an invisible prison, but you would have also physical prison time. So, so then legally in, in your county, you have to go through the process of were you distracted at all mm-hmm. um, in order to determine if you were going to be charged. Is that what you're saying? It, exactly. So I had to hire a criminal defense attorney wow. and I, uh, and, and this is a miracle. I mean, this, this process typically in any county, well, now, especially COVID, I'm sure it's even delayed even more. But um, I was seen within three months, which is a miracle. Wow. So it happened in October and my grand jury was uh, December 14th of 2016, which was literally a whole miracle in itself. I mean, we could sit and talk about that for a little bit. I don't even know how. That I was happened so, so quick. Um, because they prepared me five to six months, but that would have landed me in January, February, and new grand juries begin in January. And when the uh, indictment goes up like over 50% January and February. So any new oh. grand jury, if you're seen January and February, more oh. than likely you're going to be indicted because you're coming into a new role. And, this you're, is a, and they're feeling very strongly about what they're yes, doing. And, and just trying to find their way. Now, I mean, trial costs $40,000. Wow. A teacher's salary. Wow. If I had chose that for my family, let's say I was indicted with vehicular manslaughter. They were going to try for a lesser charge. I don't know what it would have ended up being. But everything comes into account. Like, And now let me ask you, in that case, if that would have been the charge that would have gone forward for you, I am assuming that it would be primarily just to cover the cost that the family had to take on over the losses of David. Is that correct? I don't want to speak about him in legal terms, but I'm just curious. No, there's two different things. So there's a civil side. I was um, sued for a wrongful death. So there's a civil side and there's a criminal side. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. 
so the criminal will always come first. So they go into account, well, David had the right of way. I was pulling out of a subdivision and he was on the main road. He had the right of way. You know, I had to yield. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't see him. That doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it was my responsibility to be 100% sure that I was safe and everyone else around me potentially was safe. And I never would have purposefully done that. And thankfully, I had never been in an accident before. Mm. I thankfully, I didn't even have a ticket mm. on my record. I had a squeaky clean record. But had I had something that was evidence for the grand jury, and, and you go through a very thorough, like, we need your cell phone. We're going to talk to your daughters. We're going to ask you the same questions over and over again to see if we get different answers. You know, how much sleep did you have the night before? Was uh, any distraction in the back seat with your children? Um, had you had a fight with your husband that day or the night before? Were you thinking about anything? I mean, all these questions where you just have like a truth serum because you don't know, <laughs> you know, at that point I had not got legal consultation yet. And Jen, it's interesting to me too, because I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Um, I mean, I'm very distracted in the car. That's confession number one. Um, Confession number two is like, I can't even tell you how much sleep I got right now, last night. (laughs) Right. So if you asked me that question three times the same question over a three-week period, you'd probably get three different answers. Because I seriously am like, you want me to answer a question from a week ago? Yeah. Like, I can't even, I don't think I would remember that. You know, funny you said that. So my husband updated my phone and my notes on my phone, you know, pulled back up. And I was like, man, I still have so many notes in here that that didn't clear. And I was scrolling, scrolling, and then something caught my eye. And I didn't even know I had this. But it is timestamped October 4th, 2016. And I titled the note, it was dark. Mm. And I don't remember doing this. Like I have no memory. But I guess when I was sitting on the curb while the troopers were investigating I had enough sense or maybe my mom told me to do it or maybe my husband told me to do it but I made a little note in my phone and this is what I wrote I'll read to you I looked to my right no light looked left no light steered to go then saw light from my left and a bump and heard a skid I pulled over told Katie to pray and started to call 911 and ran to help wow and you the wrote seat. that so you would probably remember what happened. I mean, it's so simple, but that's all I could. I mean, mm-hmm. I had to have done this wow. sitting on that curb. I mm-hmm. have zero memory mm-hmm. of this. I just discovered it and I was shocked. I mean, I was. Well, it's so funny. The first time the trooper started, you know, asking questions, I remember I started going, well, um, you know, she was asking for a snack, uh, earlier that day <laughs> you know haven <laughs> yeah. and he said at the time of the accident I was like no no she was just sitting back there and so she wasn't asking for anything no did she he's like did you look back in the back seat to look at her you know like if that caught my attention versus looking mm-hmm. how many moms because what you and I were talking about before we pressed cord was we do too much mm-hmm. yeah And the number one cause of accidents is not what you think. It's daydreaming. 
The number one cause of accidents in America reported is daydreaming. You're thinking about what you would have said. You're thinking about what you're going to make for dinner. You're thinking about where that chapel sock might be hiding before you get home so that you can take care of it right away. You're thinking about all the things. That's right. Just name it. Yeah, you just name it. And and we do. We this affects 40,000 Americans alone every year. Really? There are zero resources for us, Amber. One nonprofit, one podcast, no ministry, no protocols, nothing. We are left to our own devices. And unfortunately, that is very deadly. Mm -hmm. I was getting ready to say, do you know the statistics for like suicide? Um, We don't have um, any hard statistics, but 100% of all caddies I've ever met talk about suicidal ideation, mm-hmm. feeling no longer worthy to live. Mm-hmm. Oh and when gosh. you, when you have this helplessness and hopelessness of, um, and no one talks about it, like I can Google grief of a pet and you're going to find something. Mm-hmm. There is just so many things with this and it doesn't make it right. Now it doesn't mean that I wouldn't have got to a jury And the jury would have been like, oh, I am so guilty of this too. This was not gross negligence. But like I said, a trial would have cost between $30,000 and $40,000. That's right. And you're still not guaranteed. Um, You you don't know the outcome. No. And then when you're offered, the DA doesn't want to have to do those expenses either. You're offered this nice, shiny, um, Mm. we will offer you a plea deal. Mm -hmm. How many people... Like my whole world opened up to, mm-hmm. okay, 30, 40,000 to be exonerated when you already feel guilty. So here I feel guilty mm-hmm. and I'm barely functioning and I don't really want to fight for myself because everything seems hopeless and helpless. Mm-hmm. And it's going to cost my family 30 to $40,000 of which we of don't money have. and time. And time, the cost and, of time and emotional resources. Oh yeah. Oh, but then you might have like, if there's protests because it was a motorcyclist and it was a veteran and they are very family oriented, mm-hmm. right? So we live in a small town. Everybody knows mm-hmm. your business. There was a news article about me and it mm-hmm. made me have an actual mental breakdown. Oh, um, I mean, there's just layers of this and, but I'm not the victim. I'm the perpetrator. It is so complicated. Yeah. Like my heart is, I don't even want to fight for me sometimes because it's like, you know, you didn't lose anybody, but I lost me. I mm-hmm. lost me for a time and my children lost me and my husband lost me and my parents. And, and you never I, set out to injure someone, even though you were negligent. Right. Like, yeah. and we're all guilty. Guilty. Of that. Yes. And then we could go even deeper. Let me just, let's, let's let the Holy Spirit here Please. for just a second. Let's marinate in this. No one truly sets out to their sin. You start with this, you give the enemy this, and then he takes it and he takes it. And then if you, we want to go deeper, all sins are the same. Yeah. I. Oh. So that just sits like you can be so angry for the family who lost a loved one, but then you're like, wait a minute, I just was speeding 12 miles over the speed limit to get to where I mm-hmm. wanted to go yesterday, but nothing happened. And you know what, Jen, that can be applied to the way, if we want to take it even a little bit further as Christians, that we treat people who've had abortions. Yes. 
who, I mean, we can go down that road real far, right? Like I told you, I know teaching, like just having a heart of compassion and walking, let's not even say a mile in someone's shoes, just a couple of steps before you speak, think, or act. Yeah. Really will open yourself up to a whole different world. Yes. My heart grew. Oh, Mm -hmm. I bet. I bet. Tell me this real quick. I do want to know, I mean, like, so legally the consequences ended up being, I mean, you were cleared of the charges, correct? Right, right. So no charges ever came. I was no build. And that was um, a beautiful miracle in itself. But I, from my perspective, it was a miracle for another family. It might've been justice didn't win that day. That's right. Tell me a little bit of the impact your girls experienced. I've had to have many conversations and and we have an open dialogue and we've decided as a family, if we keep it open, if we tried to, to not speak about this one, it perpetuates that cycle of no one talks about this. Truth. And there's no shame. If we try to hide something, that means we still haven't given something over to God. Like mm. I can... Someone could call me a murderer and I look at them and I would just in the, in my eyes would water. And I would say, I'm sorry that you feel that that I got away with something. My heart, I'm in a place where I see, I see the perspective because if it had been my husband on that road, I get it. Yeah. It's the walking in the other shoes. Yeah. I don't, I, I, every day walk in their shoes. I think of things and and I I share my story always hesitant, but I have to trust the Lord that he's going to use these words for the greater good. And that that becomes now between them and the Lord. And Mm. that's their journey is forgiving me. Yeah. Wow. And I pray that they do. And I've heard that they have, but I've never directly spoke to the family. We've had a third party. So I was cleared. I was no build. Um, but I still had a civil responsibility to take care of these children. He was the breadwinner. He was the main parent for three children. Yeah. And their whole world was rocked and upside down too. Yeah. And I would have given anything, any, I mean, no amount of money could bring him back, but I just, I was devastated. Yeah. Devastated. Crushed. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I was crushed and I'm looking at my children that I need to provide for and my teacher's retirement, but I'm also thinking about a family who just lost provision and I'm trusting God to handle us and handle this family. And it was so complicated and the weight, I can't even, I don't want you to bear this weight. I don't want you to even walk a step in this. It, it is, I don't want anybody else to carry this, but December 14th, 2016, the week before Christmas, the grand jury heard my case. And by miracle, I wasn't supposed to know until five o'clock whether to turn myself in or that the decision was um, over. Um, My mom was there. We had my whole church family praying for us. I had (laughs) prepared different families to take my children. So each kid had a bag and change of clothes because this is a Wednesday you know, each family that cared for them had a playmate. They had activities planned for our children. Um, and Chris's only job was to, and my mom were to wait and to bail me out. So that was like, we had to have. Yeah. Those things in place. (laughs) Yes. But around 11 o'clock, I got a phone call. It was my attorney. And then lo and behold, it was not the attorney. It was the district attorney. 
and he was using my attorney's cell phone and I was taken, you know, aback and I was like, hello. And he, and he said, Jennifer, this is district attorney and, um, blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember his name. Um, God bless him, but I don't remember his name. And he said, I don't ever do this. That was what he said. I don't ever do this, but the grand jury asked me to tell you now that there's no, that they have no billed you and that Mm. they want you to see this as an accident Mm. and to go on and have a Merry Christmas. (laughs) Like, yes, Lord Jesus. Merry Christmas. Oh, uh, yeah. And and I wish I could tell you that there was just this big celebration. I mean, it was for my mom and, of course, this yeah, right. relief and my husband. And But I had surrendered at that point. I had to work. It took a long time. I don't even think I fully re- re- surrendered until a couple days before grand jury. Well, that's what I was going to say. Would you say that really your journey of emotional health, I guess, or restoration could that even begin until this legal process was over? Because not really. You're just I, in like limbo. Yeah. Um, I think I had decided I wanted, I had decided to fight to live at that point. It took about six weeks where I, you know, I was like, okay, I either can't live like this anymore or I need help and I'm going to fight. Yeah. And that took about six weeks to realize um, because I really thought my heart would give out. I, yeah. I thought I, I thought I would die from a broken heart. I was yeah. so brokenhearted. And I decided that I was worth fighting for, not really for me, but for my own children to not allow the enemy to steal anything else. Mm. So that looked like making regular counseling appointments. I had already been to the counselor a couple of times, but making regular ones like, nope, I'm going to get every in. week. I'm getting. Yeah. In. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back to the kids. Cause I, I kind of left the daughters. Oh, <laughs> got sidetracked, but, um, making a, an appointment with my doctor and saying, is this depression? What do we do? What, what do I need to do? And, and covering those bases. And then even having, um, a couple of women who, um, one is her name is Miss Sandy and she is a mentor and she is you know, older than me, wiser than me, raised all her children and her just uh, saying, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to step in. I've raised my children. Her husband had a prison ministry, ironically. And um, she said, I I am here to speak life into the situation that you are loved by God, Jennifer. You are special to him. He has not abandoned you. That is the lie of the enemy that you are still loved and cherished and, and you are worth it and you are worthy and you are still a daughter of a king and he can still make beauty from ashes. And she really spoke these things into me. Praise uh, the Lord for community. This is what I tell people sometimes. I'm like, listen, I know community can make us all crazy. (laughs) And some people will say, all you need is God. And I'm like, well, actually God gave us community because he said, It's not good for man to be alone. And there's a reason for that because it's not. Our own thoughts will, sometimes it's not even the enemy. It is our own flesh that will just eat us alive. Yes. We need people like that. Absolutely. And I call it borrowed hope. Amen. When, When you're in a situation where you're in it and you're minute to minute 
and I think about really, this is like deep grief. You're yeah. going through a divorce. You've just lost a child. You've just lost a spouse. You suddenly lost a parent. In my situation, it's crazy, but I was grieving a stranger, you know? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a different person. Jen is now a different person after October. Did you say 16th? Fourth. Fourth. Mm-hmm. Pre-October 4th and post-October 4th, you are a different person. Different. Yeah. But I see things that in my life where the Lord was preparing me and that makes me so angry and so in awe. And, right. <laughs> and all the, the same, things. All the things. And, um, you know, I used to pray like, Lord, give me a ministry someday. I really thought it would be totally different, like helping moms with, you know, uh, children with genetic disorders like mine, you know. I really thought, um, or couples going through marriage, you know, getting married young and because we have been through so many hard things up until the accident, (laughs) the accident was like, I really didn't know how we would survive. I really had, but we did. And we became closer. I mean, I was like, well, if he's going to leave, he has every reason (laughs) to leave and to be like, "Uh uh-uh, I didn't sign up for this. And he didn't, he, he doubled down and lifted me up and was my total rock and strength. Um, you had asked me about the girls. Um, and I didn't, I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent. It was real. This was part of the guilt seeing my girls suffer too. Haven began drawing dead bodies. Um, so she was four. And, you know, when I was helping him, eventually people came to then help me. And some of them there, I remember in particular, there was a woman who came and put her arms on my shoulders and she wanted to help me. I think she wanted to give me a blanket because it was cold and I had come from the gym and I said, thank you, but go to my girls. They're still screaming Mm. and crying 20 feet away, watching all this unfold. And I couldn't leave. They were in danger in Mm. the dark country road, a 12 year old and a four year old sitting there crying, watching me attend to this man. Yeah. And um, there was so much commotion, but women went to them. And I remember looking over and I just have this brief image of, I can't see Katie's face because it's buried in another woman's shoulder. Mm. And she's crying and I can hear Haven and Haven's on the hip of another woman and her, her head is laying on another woman's shoulder. And And then here I am in the ground and there's a lot of guilt with that too. Yeah. It's a whole nother layer. Have they had to do some trauma counseling as Mm -hmm. well? Yeah. 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 And then even when Katie began driving um, her hypervigilance and she'd be like, mom, you know, I feel like someone's going to not stop, you know? Yeah. The anxiety Uh, from the trauma. Yeah, she threw up in the middle of the night for probably a good three to four weeks. She would just wake from a nightmare and vomit on herself. Wow. Um, Katie at 12. And I mean, listen in, people, because if you've not done any studies on trauma, I mean, it is now is the time to learn because there are things you, you even experience in your childhood that you may not even remember now. Yeah. And they didn't have the resources back then to know, That's right. oh, oh, it came out as adult ADD, but main, mainly I have never dealt with this. Right. You know? Yep. Right. So oh. they had, they had therapy and we did another bout of counseling last year. Um, 
with Katie just because of anxiety, um, mainly around death. You know, we have lots of conversations. I have to be real honest and tell them from a very matter of fact, like this is something that will always be a part of your mom. This is a part of our story. I can't ever change this. And people will try to shame us for it. And there is an accountability, a part of that too. I don't pride myself in this past, but it's a part of us. And we can only try to live our lives, loving the Lord, depending on him and let what he says about us be louder than the voice of the world. Amen to that. And and that literally can then be translated to anything, mm-hmm. you know? If she makes a mistake and she goes to a party, she shouldn't, or, you know, whatever in life that you may choose to do, you can't sometimes take things back. And all you can do is try to help the next person. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of what I do. But we did as a family, we had the boys kind of wanted to protect us and the girls, we all witnessed and went through something that nobody else understood fully. So we're, you know, bonded in that Haven now does not remember anything really from the accident. She still is very aware of motorcyclists. She pretty much prays for every, when it first happened, she would point out like, oh, he's a motorcycle helmet or no helmet. I mean, and she would pray for the, you know, everyone on a motorcycle And then now she's just very aware of the noise, but she doesn't know really why. And she doesn't remember the bleeding. She doesn't remember the actual events. You know, the, eventually the pictures of dead bodies and ambulances went back to hearts and rainbows, like a normal little girl. Right. You know, well, when you were talking earlier, it reminds me of a benediction we often say in our house that comes from Henry Nowen. And I just want to say it over you. It says, I'm not what I have. I'm not what I do. I'm not what people say about me. I am the beloved of God. Mm. It's who I am. And no one can take it from me. And it's just a beautiful reminder that I've spoken over my kids sometimes and myself. Yeah. Because it's so easy to believe the lies. And so Mm -hmm. as we begin to close up here, I just want to bring to people's attention that Caddy has been all over the internet lately because of Alec Baldwin's story. And now he is a caddy. Mm -hmm. And so you were able to speak about your experience and to speak directly to his family on Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith, which I just want to talk about that girl because that is like, what? I mean, (laughs) it's crazy because I mean, I hate that that's the story, but I know me too. Darn it. Amazing opportunity still. And also, because of what you said earlier, there's one nonprofit and one podcast dedicated to this. Mm-hmm. Amen that you all got to go and speak on her show because of the attention that it brought yeah. to a whole group of people. And so as you did in that space, and I will link that talk, that show in the show notes, if you were speaking directly to someone who is a caddy, who has a caddy in their life, what would you say to them? You can't fix this. You can't. And I, and on the show, I said, you have to sit in the pit. And what I meant, they had to edit a lot of what I said, but you have to be willing to sit in the uncomfortable part of grief 
and sadness and lament and it is uncomfortable and it is heavy and you invite the Holy Spirit and you just listen and you just hold space. You can't fix it. There's no timeline. We're all going to be on that journey a little bit differently, but just know that if you're supporting a caddy, you have to surrender too to the fact that this is their own healing journey. This is something that's between them and the Lord and everybody gets a choice. The Lord is waiting, ready to, to heal, but it's a process and it takes time and it takes trust and it takes surrender and it takes um, believing for things unseen. And it also is saying like the world's definition of healing is not eternal definition of healing. Mm. This isn't prayed away. This is every day I'm going to pray and ask for the strength for that day. Yeah. I'm going to look and feel the hope and the joy for today. And it is a choice. Mm. I still have a choice to be bitter or bitter. Well, and that's what I would ask. Do you feel like there are still some days? I cried yesterday. That you're making that choice. Yeah. I was sitting in the car. Chris had run into Walmart, my husband, and I was sitting in the car with the kids. And I don't even remember what it was that was said or mentioned, but I, I, tears just filled my eyes. And I had to just say, I love you, Lord, Mm. and I'm praying for them. I kind of had this thing where I feared the name David for a while. It was a part of just the sting. Well, you can't read your Bible. The enemy literally, if every time I hear the name David and I'm felt with, yep, you did that. You did Mm. that. And I'm associating the name David for my victim versus like King David. Or I had to choose to take that painful thing that the enemy wanted and use it in a way that could be, it could be prosperous. It could be fruit, you know, could bear fruit. And what I chose to do is every time I hear the name David, I pray for his children. Mm. You know, sometimes that's 10 times a day. Wow. I mean, literally it is the most random. I have met some Davids that like the producer of the Red Table Talk, his name was David. And his assistant's name was Hope. <laughs> I can't even make this up. <laughs> and then the man that they had invited that I didn't know was coming, the father of one of the um of the the man who lost his fiance in the driving under the influence accident. If you watch the show, uh-huh. his, the father's name is David. So sometimes it's I don't hear his name, but sometimes I can hear his name ten times. Yeah. Yeah, And I just take that as the sign of the Lord to stop and pause and think of them. And it's been five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I still do that. Wow. And it's now just become as easy as praying for my own kids. And praying blessings and favor upon them. Yeah. That the Lord would meet them wherever they are. Yeah. Getting to go on that show. I wish y'all could have heard the whole story because it was, it was four hours of taping of incredible, very deep spiritual conversation they were very loving. Jada was super loving, compassionate, affectionate. She called me special. She said, there's something, they were curious. Mm. They were very curious about how I found my peace, Wow, you know, and I will tell you, Willow is super smart and she wanted, she was curious. And I said, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. 
Absolutely. I pray that it just, oh, the Lord just continues to bring people into her path to whatever seed I, I was able to plant, that it bear fruit. Well, Jen, I am grateful that those ideations is not something that you acted upon, but that you are in a place where you can say, I am the beloved of God, no yeah. matter what. Mm-hmm. And so um, people tune in to Accidental Hope. And then tell me the organization website again for anyone listening who um, may need to share it with someone in their lives. The nonprofit by Dr. Marianne Gray, and she did a great TED Talk, um, calls it, um, it's titled, It Hurts to Hurt Someone. So you can Google search that as well. But her site is accidentalimpacts.org. And then my website is a faith perspective of some of the same things. I'll always direct you to her because she does a lot of clinical research through UCLA and different universities. She's working really hard for us. Her accident was over 40 years ago. Yeah. And then mine is accidentalhope.com. So I share stories of other believers, pastors, three pastors um, who are also caddies. Wasn't that incredible? I hope you'll share it with a friend. As we close, receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick, and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.